If you're using one of the black Bibles from the chair in front of you, you'll find tonight's passage on page 1027. If you're using your own copy of the Bible, the book of Jude is the second to last book in the Bible. So you can find it by going to the very end to Revelation 1 and turning back one page. Truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you were about to see and did not see it, and to hear what you are about to hear and did not hear it. But may your eyes be blessed by seeing and your ears be blessed by hearing. Listen now to the words of God spoken from the book of Jude, verses 1 to 16. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, To those who are called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Now, I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued a natural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet, in like manner, these people also relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them. For they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feasts. As they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted. Wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way. 
and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, malcontents. Following their own sinful desires, they are loud-mouthed boasters showing favoritism to gain advantage. Pray with me. God, your word that goes out from your mouth shall return full. You have told us this. As your people gather here in the name of your Son, cause your word to come down from heaven like rain and the snow, not returning there, but watering the earth. Cause it to bear fruit among us. Let your word dwell richly in us so that it would be and give a plentiful harvest to the sowers, that they would see all the eaters filled with the bread of life, your son. We pray that you would show mercy to your people now and use me as your mouthpiece to help accomplish all that you purpose among us tonight. You have sent your word out on the mission that we might treasure Jesus above all else and enjoy you forever. Let it succeed on that mission. God, we pray that you would give your word success tonight. You would cause the dead to live. We pray that you would multiply these few fish and loaves and use them to feed your sheep. Hear us because of Christ. Amen. So the book of Jude is a strong drink. It's poetic, but it's not poetry. It's not a narrative passage. It's not a proverb or even a regular epistle. The central unit of this letter, verses 5 to 16, falls into the genre of a judgment oracle. Jude has his sights fixed on targets that he intends to destroy. He has a harsh tone, and like a general skillfully maneuvering his troops to wipe out an opposing force... Or like a surgeon carefully wielding a blade to cut out a cancer, Jude is executing a multifaceted plan of attack. And there's a reason for this. The gospel is under attack. Not from the Romans, from those outside of the church. Jude is writing this letter because the true gospel is under attack from professing Christians within the church. With this in mind as context, let's go to the text. Verse 1. says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. Do you catch what he did there? Did you notice who he introduced himself as? He calls himself the brother of James and the servant of Jesus Christ. Matthew 13 says, And when Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there. And coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue, so that they were astounded and said, Where did this man get his wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Jude? Jude, the brother of Jesus Christ, does not exalt himself by claiming authority based on his family relations, 
but only calling himself a servant, proclaiming from the first line of his letter that Jesus Christ is Lord. To those who are called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. That's you, brothers and sisters. To those who God has called, to those who are intimately and dearly loved by God the Father, to those who by the power of his righteous right hand, the Father will surely keep as a glorious inheritance for his Son, Jesus Christ. To you, Grace Baptist, may mercy, peace, and the love of God be multiplied to you until your cup overflows. But now, Jude can't continue in this vein. He must stop and deal with more pressing matters. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, something else took precedence. I found it necessary to write appealing to you, listen to the charge here, to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Jude wanted to write about their common salvation, but he couldn't. There was an urgent need to address. There was an enemy that needed killing. There was a cancer that needed cutting out. Here, Jude submits himself to the authority of the Holy Spirit and tells us to contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. Jude is telling you that there is a truth worth fighting for. Our society today would tell you that there is no truth worth dying for. The truth is just words, and no one should lay their life down for just words. But our brothers and sisters that came before us would not agree. From 1555 to 1558, Bloody Mary, the Queen of England, had 288 Protestant reformers burned at the stake. Why? Because they refused to say that Jesus' body was physically present during communion. Did they waste their lives? Did they go to the stake for nothing? For words? No. They laid their lives down contending for the truth about Jesus and salvation through him alone. And notice, this charge to contend for the faith isn't delivered just to pastors. Jude isn't saying, Grace Baptist... Make sure Mark and Jamie, or make sure Rich and Scott defend the true gospel. This charge to contend for the gospel is for all believers who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. And this body of truth, this faith, has been once for all delivered to the saints. The canon is closed. Joseph Smith said that he received new visions and cursed the world with his Book of Mormon. Jude says, no, once for all delivered to the saints. 
Islam says that Muhammad was given the Quran by the archangel Gabriel. But Jude says no, once for all delivered to the saints. Catholicism says that the official church tradition is needed to continuously develop biblical doctrine. The book of Jude says no, once for all delivered to the saints. Sarah Young, in her introduction to Jesus Calling, writes, In 1992, I began reading God Calling, a devotional book written by two anonymous listeners. These women practiced waiting quietly in God's presence, pencils and paper in hand, recording the messages they received from him. The messages are written in first person with I designating God. The following year, I too began to wonder if I could receive messages during my time of communion with God. So I decided to listen to God with pen in hand, writing down whatever I believed he was saying. It felt awkward the first time I tried this, but I received a message. This is a bestseller in our Christian bookstores. But Jude says no, once for all, delivered to the saints. And who are we to contend for the integrity of this true gospel against? Jude tells us in verse 4. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who were long ago designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. The danger to these believers is not from unbelievers outside the church but from false teachers within the church. The greatest threat to Christian doctrine is not from atheists. The greatest threat to Christian doctrine is not from Muslims or communists or democratic liberals pushing an LGBTQ interpretation of the scriptures. The worst enemies of Christian doctrine are professing Christians who do not hold fast to the faith once for all delivered to the saints. These false teachers had slipped in quietly among the brothers and sisters and were in the audience when this letter of Jude was read. But our God is not mocked, nor is he ever taken by surprise. Our God reigns in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. He it was who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, both of man and of beast. He who is in your midst, O Egypt, sent signs and wonders against Pharaoh's and all his servants. Long before these false teachers even existed, God designated these ungodly people for condemnation. condemnation. Brothers and sisters, examine yourselves and your brothers. Do you deny submission to the only Master and Lord Jesus Christ by twisting his offer of grace into a license to sin? Do you think that sinning is okay because you can just get forgiveness afterwards? If so, repent and believe, and God will save you.
But if you spurn the loving warning that God is giving you right now through the book of Jude, there will be no escape for you. I know this is a hard word, but this admonition is a gift from God to you. Listen to the love of God in it. God wants none of you to perish. Not a one. He wants none of you to perish tonight. So he's warning you, if you are a false teacher, or if you listen to these false teachers, the wrath of God is coming for you. Look at verses 5 to 7 with me to see three examples God holds up to make this point. Jude says, Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterwards destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not stay with their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued a natural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Jude is hitting the same nail with three different hammers in each verse. In verse 5, Jude is saying, if among God's chosen and delivered people He judged those in the wilderness who did not persevere in faith. He will certainly judge the false teachers who abandoned the true faith. In verse 6, if God judged the rebellious angels who tried to usurp God's authority, he will certainly judge the false teachers who did not submit to the Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. In verse 7, If God judged Sodom and Gomorrah for their sexual immorality and unnatural desire, then God will certainly judge false teachers for using God's grace as a free pass to sin. Hell is real. Hell is eternal. And God, through Jude, is telling us that there will be those who participate in spiritual communities who go there. There will be those who go to church morning and night in prayer meeting, they go there. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. Praise be to God. It doesn't have to be that way tonight. Look back to verse 5. Jesus saved a people out of the land of Egypt. It was Jesus who rescued his people from bondage. Jesus was one who rescued his covenant people from bondage and saved those who believe. He did so in the days of the Exodus, and he does so now, today. If you would but turn to him and trust, 
he will be faithful to save you. And now we come to Jude's poetic side. In the rest of our passage from verse 8 to 16, Jude paints a portrait of these false teachers. With each verse, Jude adds a brushstroke to help us fill out and paint in color the portrait so that we might recognize the false teachers by their character and by their actions. First brushstroke, verse 8. Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. Jude says, not only are the false teachers and their followers like unfaithful Israelites, fallen angels, and Sodom and Gomorrah, but they are led astray by relying on their dreams. If you want a sure sign that someone is a false teacher, listen for someone who follows dreams and subjective experiences they claim are from God, but lead them to disobey God's written word. Another brushstroke. They are sexually moral. They are unsubmissive to authority. And they blaspheme the angels by rebelling against God's authority and rejecting the law like the Sanhedrin did in Acts 7. As Stephen said, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. Listen. You who have received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Verse 9. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses... He did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. This brush stroke of the portrait is similar to what happened in Zechariah 3 during our call to worship. In Zechariah 3, there's a, there's a court scene. Joshua, the high priest, is the defendant. Satan is the accuser, and the angel of the Lord is seated as judge. And Satan has a good case against Joshua. Joshua was the high priest, so he was the intermediary through whom the people's sin was to be removed on the Day of Atonement. But there's a problem. Joshua was unclean. He was standing there in filthy garments that had been soiled with excrement. Listen again to Zechariah 3. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of Yahweh, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. Before Satan can even open his mouth, God says, No! Your evidence is inadmissible. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. 
Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was standing before the angel clothed with filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from him. And said to him, Behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. And I said, Let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord was standing by. Did you hear that? The angel of the Lord was standing by. The angel of the Lord, whom God put in the place of authority as judge, was standing by. The angel could have rightly leveled a just charge against Satan, but he humbly left it to the Lord. In Jude, Michael the archangel had every right to pronounce a judgment against the evil of Satan, but instead humbly left it to the Lord, saying, The Lord rebuke you. But these false teachers, these false teachers presume authority and cast proud judgments on things they do not understand. Like unreasoning animals, they only follow their bodily instincts and feelings. In other words, they are destroyed because they ignore God's law and follow their hearts. Now, in verse 11, Jude references three Old Testament stories to flesh out the kind of greed these false teachers have. Jude says, Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. So he says, First, they walked in the way of Cain. Cain, the firstborn son of Adam and Eve, murdered his brother Abel. First John 3.11 says, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Cain was greedy for God's approval without wanting to submit to God's ways. You will know false teachers because they have the appearance of godliness, but deny its power. Second, the false teachers abandon themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error. Now we go a little more lesser known. The book of Numbers recounts how when the people of Israel set out and camped in the plains of Moab beyond the Jordan at Jericho, Balak, the king of Moab, was overcome with fear at the people of Israel. So Balak sends messengers to Balaam offering silver and gold in exchange for calling down a curse upon the Israelites. But God prevented Balaam from cursing his people and instead made Balaam pronounce blessings upon them. So Balaam, what was plan B? He advised Moab's king to seduce them into sexual and spiritual adultery. Numbers 25 says, While Israel lived in Shittim, the people began to whore with the daughters of Moab. These invited the people to sacrifice 
into the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel yoked himself to Baal of Peor, and the anger of Yahweh was kindled against Israel. Revelation 2.14 says it this way. God speaking says, But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teachings of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. Balaam was greedy for financial gain, so he placed sexual and spiritual stumbling blocks before God's people. You will know false teachers because they value money and possessions over holiness. And third, they perished in Korah's rebellion. In number 16, Korah, the great-grandson of Levi, rose up in rebellion against Moses and Aaron, bringing 250 well-known chiefs to the congregation and said, All in the congregation are holy, Moses. Every one of them. And the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourself above the assembly of the Lord? Is it a small thing that you have brought us up out of a land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness? That you must also make yourself prince over us? So Moses gathers the congregation and says, in Numbers 16, 28, Hereby... You shall know that Yahweh, the Lord, has set me to do all these works, and that it has not been of my own accord. If these men die, as all men die, or if they are visited by the fate of all mankind, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord creates something new, And the grounds open its mouth and swallows them with all that belongs to them. And they go down alive into Sheol. Then you will know that these men have despised the Lord. So so Moses is saying, if God just kills you, then I was wrong. If God kills you in a way that men have died before, then God has not established me as his mouthpiece. But if God kills you in a new way, in a way that no one has ever died since the world was created, then you will know that your rebellion was not against me, but against Yahweh the Lord. And as soon as he had finished speaking all these words, the ground under them split apart. And the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their household and all the people who belonged to Korah and all their goods. So they and all that belonged to them went down alive into Sheol, and the earth enclosed over them, and they perished from the midst of the assembly. Jude is saying that Korah was greedy for authority, so he was destroyed by God. You will know false teachers because they use equality to exalt themselves. Verse 12. These false teachers are hidden reefs at your love feasts waiting unseen as you take communion and fellowship meals together, hidden in the waters, ready to tear off the holes of your ship of faith, causing you to sink in the waters of despair and unbelief. As they feast with you without fear of 
being discovered or expelled from among you. The false teachers are shepherds feeding themselves. The weak, they have not strengthened. The sick, they have not healed. The injured, they have not bound up. The stray, they have not brought back. The lost, they have not sought. And with force and harshness, they rule. They are waterless clouds swept along by winds. They boast of gifts that they do not give, promising nurturing and refreshing water, but providing only more thirst. They are fruitless trees in late autumn, bearing no fruits in keeping with repentance, and cursed by God for being empty. Twice dead, uprooted, cut down by the axe of God, and ready to be thrown into the fire. Verse 13, they're wild waves of the sea, not planted firmly on the solid, unshakable, and unmovable rock that is Christ our Lord. They cast up the foam of their own shame, not ashamed or embarrassed as they cast up their sin to the air and call the whole world to look at their twisted gospel. They are wandering stars misleading everyone who looks to them for guidance, always pointing to themselves but never pointing to Christ. All four spheres of creation condemn them. The earth, the waters, the sky, and the heavens all pronounce judgment on these false teachers. It is for these whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. Verse 14. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. In these verses, Jude is pulling from both Deuteronomy 33 and the book of First Enoch. Now, if you look in your Bible's table of contents, you will not find First Enoch. That's because it's not part of the Bible. It was written about 250 B.C., so it couldn't have even been written by Enoch. So, hear me, Grace Baptist. Do not leave here tonight thinking that a book has been left out from the Bible. Neither first century Jews nor Christians saw First Enoch as divinely inspired. Only devotionally helpful, like we would see reading Desiring God or Tim Challies. Helpful, not inspired. Jude quoting this verse from First Enoch does not mean that Jude is endorsing the whole book as inspired. But just like Paul quoting pagan philosophers in Acts, 1 Corinthians, and Titus, he sees his quoting of it as divinely inspired. In Deuteronomy 33.2, in Moses' final blessing on Israel, 
there's a vibrant and colorful picture of the coming of the Lord. He said, Yahweh came from Sinai and dawned from Seir upon us. He shone forth from Mount Paran. He came from the ten thousands of his holy ones with flaming fire at his right hand. Jude quotes from First Enoch in verses 14 and 15 of his book because he sees a genuine prophecy from Enoch preserved in this book of Enoch and sees this prophecy as the fulfillment of the coming of the Lord as first stated in Deuteronomy 33.2. In Deuteronomy, the Lord came from all the hosts of heaven to lead his people. In Jude, he foretells a time when the Lord will come with all the hosts of heaven, but this time to bring irrevocable judgment on the unrepentant. Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that the ungodly sinners have spoken against him, all the blasphemies. These are grumblers, malcontents, Following their own sinful desires, they're loudmouth boasters showing favoritism to gain advantage. False teachers are not only revealed by the content of their teaching, but by the quality of their holiness. Brothers and sisters, contend for the faith against ones such as these. Hold fast to the faith that has been once for all delivered to us in the 66 books of the Old and New Testaments. Hold fast to the faith that exalts Christ and humbles us. And hold fast to the faith that demands holiness. Not to earn salvation, but as a fruit of salvation. Remember, brothers and sisters, our hope rests not in our ability to fight falsehood or identify false teachers, but our hope is in the triune God who called us and keeps us for Jesus Christ. Let's pray together that this word might bear fruit among us. Father, I pray that you'd help us to hold on to the purity of your gospel. Help us persevere to the end by resisting false teachers and following the truth once for all delivered to the saints. We ask that you do this for the sake of your name among the nations, that you would receive the glory. In your son's name we pray, amen. Amen. Let's sing together. Please stand and sing.